0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Dallas Green, and already Zeke's birthday has been celebrated with six glazed donuts. You know, <laughs> Zeke, you know how much he loves donuts, so thank you, Sharon, for uh, honoring him. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. It's our uh, text this morning. In verse 12, it says, don't let anyone look down on you, speaking to Timothy, because you were young. Young Timothy faced a very difficult assignment. He was given a very tough task. He was somewhere in his 30s. And he, when he was just a teenager, he'd heard the gospel in his hometown of Lystra. The Apostle Paul had come preaching the gospel. He'd become a believer. And then for about 15 years, he had traveled with the Apostle Paul through the Roman Empire. And now in his 30s, he was given this assignment to come to the town of Ephesus. And as far as I can tell, nobody in Ephesus had asked him to come. When I started here, they did ask me to come. Of course, we always feel a little insecure at first. You know, I was only 27 when I started here. They called Debbie and I to come. Um, You wonder, will they accept me? You know, will they um, receive my style of leadership? Will they listen to my style of preaching? Will I last? I remember the first winter we spent here in uh, Frederick. The winters were rougher then. We had so many snowstorms and blizzards. I woke to the sound of snowplows outside our house. Um, And just storm after storm, we actually had so many drifts. We had to install a snow fence beside our driveway. I wonder, will we make it? Timothy had it much worse. Nobody asked him to move there, and he was sent by the Apostle Paul. So in his church, there were these older elders, and some of the elders were teaching false doctrines. They were forbidding people from being married. They were ordering people to abstain from various foods. And Timothy knew that marriage is God's idea. God himself holds the patent on marriage, and he knows how to make a marriage work. Marriage, according to God, is a covenant between a man and a woman for a lifetime. Now, many false teachers in our world would say that marriage is an unnecessary social construct. The couples, if they decide to get married, should at least have a prenup, an escape clause. I mean, contracts are written because we don't trust each other. And they specify what's expected from the other and exist to protect the rights of the parties. If one of the parties isn't living up to the bargain, they're into the bargain. Or if one party wants to get out, if one finds someone else, they can get out. You see, when God created marriage, it isn't a contract. It is a covenant. Covenants are not about protecting your rights. They're about laying down your rights. They're about a husband laying down his life, even as Christ laid down his life, to love his bride. It's about a wife respecting and supporting her husband. Covenants are not about exit strategies. They're, about, they're not about, if I'm unhappy, I'm out. They're not about if we have irreconcilable differences, we're done. I found someone else. Covenants are about permanence, about staying together. Covenants are about if it gets hard, I'm in. I'm all in. So Timothy was sent to straighten out the mess. And Timothy says in verse 6 of this chapter, you have to nourish yourself in the word. You're going to hear other points of view. Not everybody's going to agree with you. You might encounter stiff opposition. But you've heard these truths growing up in your household, and you've heard them from me on the road. So let me ask you this question. What is it that you're feeding on? Timothy was told to nourish himself in the Word. What is it that you're feeding on daily? I know a lot of you pay attention, much attention, to your newsfeed, And the big story has been the incursion and the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Nick Malashevsky, his grandfather, was born in the Ukraine. And they have experienced much occupation through the years, the Nazis during the war, and then the Russians up until 1992. And now their country is under attack. I know many of you pay attention to the sports feat. You know the scorers and the teams. You know that March Madness is on the horizon. I know many of you pay attention to your weather feed, kind of watch the weather like a hawk. But if you only pay attention to the news and the sports and the weather to be your regular daily diet, I'll guarantee you, you will be spiritually malnourished. I'm not saying to eliminate this, we need to know what's going on in our world to be able to pray, but to regulate and minimize and get perspective on these things. That's what Paul was telling Timothy, to nourish himself in the Word, And the next thing he says in verse 7 is, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. In Paul's day, in our day, there were godless myths and old wives' tales. They were common and widespread and silly. There were stories that foolish women spread and everybody believed them. And part of his growing up and maturing is developing discernment to know what is true A six-year-old went to her first grade class recently, and her teacher said, even though you might have little girl parts, you may not be a little girl. That's what her first grade teacher said to her. And she came home to her mommy and said, Mommy, am I a little girl? That's what's going on in our schools today. Children must know that there is a Creator And the Creator in the beginning made us male and female. And we need to embrace our femininity and our masculinity. We're living in a time of great confusion. Don't waste your time on every conspiracy theory that's out there, that comes down the pike. Don't chase down all of these old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. The Greek word train is a word we get gymnastics from. In the Greek culture... The participants in a race or a wrestling match or a boxing match would strip off their clothing so their movements were not hindered. If you don't believe me that the Greeks wrestled naked, just talk to John Keeler, who has a high school trophy that signifies that whole event. There's more to that story. To train has the smell of a gym in it, the sweat of a good workout. Paul is saying, work out, train, exercise yourself for the purpose of godliness. Run until your feet feel like lead and then sprint. Pump iron until your muscles burn and then do another rep. Exceptional athletes are known for their exceptional training. They plan their life around their training. They go to bed early, they wake up early. They work hard. They eat well. Training involves intentionality, weights and conditioning, cardio, eating well, hydrating, injury, stretching, recovering. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, he's saying. Timothy was timid by nature. In the Ephesian church, the elders were highly regarded, and they were older than he was. And this made Timothy a target for criticism. I could hear the elders say, "Who is this pipsqueak to tell us what to do? Who is this youngster trying to teach us? He's so young, I could change his diaper." Now, did Timothy awaken in the night, feeling he was too young, too inexperienced, too timid to deal with this power struggle? The natural inclination, when we're under attack, is to become defensive. What were his options? He could try to pull rank and say, how could you even question me? I was sent here by the Apostle Paul. He could try to be combative with hate and hostility and put his opponents in their place. So what is Paul saying here? Let no one look down on you. Doesn't mean that Timothy was to take pot shots at anybody who disagreed with him. It means to be concerned how he was coming across sensitive to how others might see him. You see, we're often so unaware of how we come across. We don't hear our own defensiveness, our own combativeness, our own arrogance. Timothy, if you don't want to be treated like an immature person, then act like a mature person. Set yourself as an example to the believers in five areas. You'll see them. In speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set yourself as an example to the others in your speech. Set an example by what comes out of your mouth. If a person gets into trouble, most often it begins with what they say. Some of us talk too much. Proverbs 10:19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent. Some of us wait for a pause, So we can say something. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers before listening, it is folly and shame to him. Some of us indulge in flattery. Proverbs 15.18 says, The lips of the righteous know what is fitting. Some people look for juicy morsels to spread rumors. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. You can with your tongue speak a life giving word, or you can speak a word of death to those around you. Think about the words you spoke this last week. Were they words that encouraged or words that discouraged? Were they words that healed or were they words that brought harm? Were they truthful words? or were they false? It's important for us to take inventory of the words we speak, because there is power in the power of words. We heard growing up that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, oh, they'll never hurt me. How false is that comment? You've also heard we don't, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all, I think about words and the power of words to be something like toothpaste. You know, toothpaste is in its container. And once the toothpaste comes out, you can't put it back in. Once you've spoken the word, you can't pull it back into the toothpaste. Your tongue has the power of life and death. I used to have a drawer in my office with encouraging notes. Do you know why? Sometimes you come under attack, and sometimes you face discouragement, and sometimes you feel like you don't measure up. And it's good to receive a life giving word from somebody. We live in a wordy world. Our words are more visible now with technology, they travel farther than ever before. Once they're on Facebook or social media, they live on, they go places we could never dream of. And this is what Jesus said. There's coming a day of judgment when every careless word that we speak will come under his judgment. We are living in a political season with much hostility and much combativeness, and we need to be careful with our words. Are your words bringing life or your words speaking death? How would you describe the words you speak to your kids? How would you describe the words you speak to your spouse? How would you describe the words you speak to your boyfriend or your girlfriend? How would you describe the words you speak when you get cut off in traffic? How would you describe the words you speak when you talk to somebody of another political persuasion or from another country? Our texts and our blogs, they matter our emails and our posts. Most of the tensions in our families, our schools, our offices are over words. This proverb, Proverbs 18.21, is 3,000 years old, that life and death are in the power of the tongue, yet it is still relevant today. All of us have experienced this, haven't we? We've all said something, and we realize that what we're saying isn't good. (laughs) We're going down a road and we know that this is bringing harm or hurt to somebody. We know what it's like to be gossiped about, to be criticized, to be judged. Our tongues can be such a weapon. Our words can bring about war. They can wound people, and they have power. So we need to pay attention to our words, right? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Death words are words that label people, that marginalize, that condemn, that wound, that diminish other people. The rabbis used to say that when someone speaks a death word, they themselves die, the one listening to them dies, and the one they're speaking about dies. Not only is the outside world, world full of death words, our inside world also has deep wounds, of words that have been spoken over us. Words like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not accomplished enough. You have heard those words, right? And all of those words are lies. And God speaks a better word over you because these death words don't have to be the last word. When I was growing up, my aunts would always say, "You're so skinny. You need to eat more." Ear, this," and they shove food in my face." They were so kind of, you know, trying to well-motivated. But some of the words spoken over you didn't have good intentions. They had bad intentions. You're too fat. When are you going to get together? Spoken condemnation over you and shame. Now whether it happened to you last week or whether it happened 20 years ago, the good news of Christianity is death words don't have to be the last words. God's word over you is more powerful than any word that has been spoken over you. You know, when Jesus, before he was, went into ministry, before he ever healed the sick or raised the dead or fed the multitude with a can of bumblebee tuna and some wonder bread, before he ever did these miracles, this is what the Father spoke over him. This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am so well pleased. You see, Jesus' word over us, if we receive that word that we are loved and the Father is pleased with us, This word is greater than the words that have been spoken over us. So, first thing that Paul tells Timothy is set an example with your speech. Second thing is set an example with your conduct. Speech is very powerful, but in life and death are in the power of the tongue. But your talk must be backed up with your walk. You must practice what you preach. Set an example by how you live your life. The psalmist said, you have made known to me the path of life. There are many paths in this life that we can take. Jesus said there's a broad road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow path that leads to life. One path is easy to find. The other path is hard to find and hard to follow. One path is popular, and many are on it. The other path is unpopular and few take it. One path leads to death and destruction. The other path leads to life. What path are you on? Some would say the best path is the path with no restrictions, no inhibitions, no rules. If you've ever been into an outback, they say on the wall, no rules, just right. Right. What if Outback had no rules? The cook did not wash his hands. They failed to refrigerate the steak. What I'm trying to say is that the aphorism that there's no rules just right, it's impossible. It's, <laughs> people have to have someone that sets an example for them, you see. When you go to the grocery store, set an example. If you take one of those grocery carts, just make sure you put it back. In your work, set an example. Be the one who comes to work with a good attitude, who spreads joy wherever you are, who finishes the tasks. When you go to a soccer game, don't be like the other crazy parents. Use some self-restraint and use positive words to Speak to the players on the, on the field. When you pay your taxes, do them with honesty, looking for all the fair deductions, but do them honestly. When you go on a date, when you go to the gas station, we lead by setting an example. We model how something is done, showing people how to do it. If you are in a position of leadership and you want to see your employees come in at 9 o'clock, You yourself be there at nine, and if you give yourself an hour break for lunch, take the hour break for lunch. And if your employees are leave at five, you stay till five or later. You set the example for them. That's what Paul's saying. To set the example in how you speak and how you live, and then thirdly, set an example in love. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your words, lived in your life, are powerful but the most powerful thing of all is your love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Paul said, if I speak in all the da- dialects of man, if I can speak Farsi and Hindi, if I can speak Spanish and French, but I have not love, I'm just making, no- no- I'm just making noise. And if I can look at all the future events in prophecy and resolve all the mysteries... And have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give everything I have to the poor, my body's to the flame, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You see, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love always looks for the best. Love never looks back. Love keeps going to the very end. And we have this enormous opportunity in front of us to love. As you know, the um, Afzalis and Powers are leading a team with Rebecca toward the resettlement of an Afghan family. We... um, this last weekend, moved some furniture into an apartment that was been given to them. And uh, perhaps early released tomorrow. They will go to Baltimore to get this family, to get a 21-year-old woman and her 12-year-old nephew. They're going to move into a furnished apartment, but they're going to need things like food and clothes. And if you want to be part of this effort to love on this family, these two that are coming, why don't you see Kathy or David or Charlie or Diane And see if you can be part of this whole resettlement project because it's an enormous opportunity for us to love. Above all, love each other deeply, it says, because love covers a multitude of sins. And love must be sincere. Love one another without hypocrisy. And set an example with faith. He was to exhibit faith by being faithful. Faith is a gift we receive from God. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, being confident of what we don't see. Faith is believing what God has said and acting upon it. Abraham, he received a word from God. If he left his homeland, he left his people, God would give to him a land and a people. He became the father of a nation because he lived by faith. And Noah learned of a destruction to come upon the people, a flood that would come but he was told that he would build an ark and God would preserve his life through the ark if he would only build it. And Moses was told that God would deliver his people if he went to Pharaoh, and so he went in faith. And Rahab, she had to believe that God would spare her life if she put out her scarlet rope. You see, faith is always tested, and faith upon being tested is always rewarded. And finally, Timothy, Set an example with your purity. More people have been destroyed by impurity than anything else. The city he was to dwell in was given over to sexual impurity, which is also prevalent now in America. He's calling upon him to live a life of purity. God's word sets for us the standard of purity. This is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's Word shows us the reasons for purity, to understand the wisdom and the goodness of God's commands. God's Word shows us the difficulty of purity, and God shows us the blessing of a pure life. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure, for they will see God. And God's Word begins to transform our thinking and changes us from the inside out the Scriptures say, Do not be conformed to this, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's Word is the key to the renewing of your mind. And God's Word shows us the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered to be pure. It says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's to these five areas that Timothy was to give his attention. Do not let anybody look down on you, disdain you, look on you with contempt. But set for the others an example with your speech, how you speak, with your life, how you live, with your faith, what you believe with your purity that you abstain from sin. Now he turns in verse 13, saying this, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. First of all, Paul deals with Timothy's character. Now he deals with his public ministry being grounded in the Word. He tells Timothy that... His preaching should consist of the reading of the Scriptures, explaining what they mean, and then making application to the people. The Scripture that I've been thinking about in the last bit is Psalm 3. Would you turn there with me just for a moment? Psalm 3. As you know, the Ukrainians are under attack. And the Ukrainian church has sent out word asking for us as a church to pray through Psalm 3 with them. The Ukrainians right now are calling upon God to help them. Listen to what it says. "O oh Lord, how many are my foes? We know that, at the, that, that, that as this invasion began, there were about 200,000 Russians on the outside of Ukraine. This Psalm was written by David when Absalom had taken over the Kingship. He had usurped the throne. And now he had brought his army into Jerusalem. And David himself had to abdicate. He had to leave to his stronghold, to Masada. And so he asked the question How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But listen now to the promise. But you, my God, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To you, O Lord, I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. There are moments in life when our only defense will be the Lord himself who will fight for us. And David had faced that moment When he was absolutely desperate, he turned to the Lord asking for his help. He knew that God had anointed him, called him, placed him as king, bestowed his glory upon him. He's now asking him to lift up his head, to cry aloud to the Lord who answers from his holy hill. Listen to this next part. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord himself sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. For from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Pray with me. Father, we have witnessed the events on television and newsfeed of what happened to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. It is an unwarranted attack. It is a huge violation of international law. And many have already suffered. Bombs have dropped. Artillery artillery shells have been shot. Missiles have been sent. And the people of Ukraine are under great distress. Father, we ask for your intervention. You tell us to pray for kings and Authorities over us that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. We pray for peace in that troubled land. We pray for our president as he guides this nation through its response. Surround him with wise and capable counselors. We pray that this would not escalate into a third world war. We would pray for calm heads... We would pray for peace, Lord. We would pray protection over that nation, and especially for the believers, many of whom have decided to stay, the pastors and missionaries there. We would pray, Lord, for your protection over them. Would you, God, bring out of this disorder, order? Lord, out of this chaotic situation, would you bring peace? Would you intervene, Lord, show yourself strong? To those that have to fight, we pray for courage, bravery we pray lord for the change of putin's heart we pray that his heart would become broken over his own sin and see the hurt and harm that he is causing oh lord we pray that through all of this the church somehow could grow stronger that the witness of the church would be more powerful that in the hour of conflict we didn't run from it we stayed put and we minister to those that are left behind. Oh Lord, we look to you as the psalmist said so long ago, how many are our foes that surround us? 10,000 at every side, but God, you're a God of deliverance. We pray for your deliverance in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come Lord, defend those people, we ask in Jesus' name.